Hey, are you looking to buy a new car? Are you stuck in a high-rate loan and looking to refinance? Well, UK Federal Credit Union can help. Right now, UK Federal Credit Union has auto loan rates as low as 2.99% APR. Apply for an auto loan online at UKFCU.org or in person at the dealership. Get your dream car today at UK Federal Credit Union. UK Federal Credit Union. It's banking only better. Annual percentage rate, member qualification supply, rate of subject credit approval, subject change. For full disclosure, visit UKFCU.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome into episode 93 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I'm happy to be joined in a very interesting and uh, different tune today, Zach Gagan of Kentucky Sports Radio. Zach, how are you? Doing fantastic, Jack. We just had ourselves our, our first little get-together in 13 months, I guess it's been, 14 months, something like that. 14 was months, awesome. our first big recruiting event. It was fantastic, Zach. We had so much fun. We uh, drove up to the outskirts. It was technically Westfield, Indiana, but the outskirts of Indianapolis where we watched the Made Hoops uh, Midwest Mania event featuring the likes of Amani Bates, uh, Jalen Turin, uh, Shaden Sharp, Nick Smith, Derek Lively, Reed Shepard, Kentucky's own Reed Shepard, mm-hmm. all of the big names, some of which will not uh, touch a college campus, the likes of uh, Amani Bates and very likely Jalen Duran. We might as well just throw that out there. Very likely that he ends up going straight pro, and we'll talk about the why on that here in a second. Uh, but several players of Kentucky interest, guys that UK is in very regular communication with, some that have been kind of flirting with uh, these pro- – you know, Kentucky's been kind of flirting with these pro- prospects here in the last uh, couple months, maybe a little bit earlier, and things have slowed down. So we got a bunch of good recruiting updates on that. But more importantly – we got to see these kids with our own two eyeballs in person. The, 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 all of the in-person atmosphere, uh, just the ambiance and the, the flair and the, uh, the fandom, the crazy crowds, all of that was finally back for the first time. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of each individual prospect, Zach, what was it like to be in a gym again and watch these kids in person? It was exhilarating. First of all, me and Jack are both double vaxxed for those that uh, w- would, would ask about that. We've been, I got my second shot about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Jack has had his for a while. So we, that, we both felt comfortable going there. Um, you know, everyone was outside of everyone wearing a mask. It was about the most normal basketball experience I've had since uh, COVID started because there were a good amount of fans. I'm sure that for that Jalen Duran uh, Amoni Bates game, which we'll obviously talk about soon, there had to have been a thousand plus people in that little gym. Oh, would you say it was packed from t- maybe like, more? I, it I was the picture that I took at tip off, and there was only the upper. It was like Kroger Field in one of the big high profile 
games where it's all packed from top to bottom and then there's a little tiny itty yeah. corner in the top right that's exactly what it was like it was it was packed from top to bottom and it felt fantastic like we were sitting there we were hooping hooping and hollering and there were crazy fans in the stands that were you know bantering back and forth with other fans and with the players and coaches on the court and, and the refs even and the refs like it was it just felt so normal to be back into to kind of feel it with our, you know, it's one thing to watch film on these kids online and, and watch YouTube clips and, you know, the full film breakdowns and all that sort of thing. But you don't get the full experience and unless you are actually physically there, you get to talk to the family members and you get to talk to the coaches and you get to see the swarm of fans coming up and, uh, you know, the celebrity status that comes with Jalen Duran and Amani Bates and Amani Bates coming in wearing a, uh, a cape practically puts his jersey around his neck and, and wears it as a cape like you get you don't get those sorts of things with a YouTube video or a, an online you know stream that you're 50 feet away from the action up you know bird's eye view to view of the action you don't get all of that little stuff that we get to see that when we're there in person so it was such a fun event um they did a fantastic job made hoops did a fantastic job putting it together and, and such high level matchups it felt like every single day though there were a couple matchups that there weren't really wasn't really much of interest for us uh but for the most part every single game we watched there was at least somebody there that either had uk interest past uk interest um gonna be a guy that uk is gonna have a ton of interest in uh, you, you know, maybe even like SEC offers. There's, there was always something there for us to watch. And it, it was just high profile event. We had such a fun time there. Just felt good to be back and normal. But that's not why – what? Go for it. Well, I was going to say we should give a shout-out to Made Hoops as well because this technically wasn't a, you know, an EYBL-type circuit thing. So for them to kind of just put this all together and have all these high-profile names, and it kind of went – you know, for the most part, it was pretty flawless. They had – you know, they had games at multiple different venues or across the little area there that, you know, it was five minutes to get anywhere. So it was very all well put together and uh, they were very um, good about the uh, COVID stuff and all that. So it was it was just a fun event all around. And uh, just kind of talking what you were saying about it being a different experience. Like, you know, you and I were able to cover basketball games this uh you know, this past year, like me with the women's team and you with the men's team. But this was just an entirely different feel than that, even because, you're on the sidelines. You get to go down on the court. Um, you, you were able to, we, you know, we were able to actually interview these kids face to face, shove a camera right in their face. Like, uh, like honestly, <laughs> they probably haven't, ex- they probably haven't experienced that themselves. If you think about it, because you know, when some of these kids were sophomores in high school, they weren't nearly as big of a names. I'm sure they had cameras in their face, but right. not to this level. And we even had one of the kids, uh, uh, that we interviewed who even said after that he was nervous about it. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, it was, it was, refreshing and uh it even for for me and jack uh, jack even pointed out that it took took a little bit of winding up to get get in the groove but you know once we once we did that first interview we were like all right let's go who are we talking to next where do we need to go next let's let's start talking to people let's let's watch some basketball and we all of a sudden we were like in 2019 again wasn't it it, it reminded me of the first time i went into an eybl event where there's gen, there's courts everywhere and there's thousands of people in the gym you know different players you know from 12 13 years old all the way up to 17 and you're just mm-hmm. sitting there and you're you're kind of walking around and you're like holy crap I haven't been in a place like this in so long this isn't this is like not my territory this is uh you know I, I gotta get back in the groove of things this is just kind of over there's like a, a brief minute of like whoa this is overwhelming I haven't done this in 
20 months or one of the last EYBL event where it was this same thing. I mean, it's been almost two years, two summers ago since we were able to do this. So, and it it was, it was so funny how you watch your first game and you're like, ah, I know this kid. I know this kid. I know this kid. Uh, This kid is somebody that I need to know. You, you start all the things that you kind of got good at and, and the experience you had way back when it all started just like immediately rushing back and like interviewing these kids, going straight up to them, talking to their coach saying, Hey, can I grab him for a second or just going straight up to the kids? It just, it all felt like we're finally getting back to some semblance of normalcy. And it's just fantastic. We needed it. It was a very hard weekend. Uh, that's something that uh, I'm planning on. So we're doing this a little bit differently. I'm recording this episode with Zach right now. We're going to talk exclusively about this weekend and some of, uh, you know, the, the recruiting ins and outs of that stuff. And then we're going to do another show with Sean Smith, like usual, uh, where I assume we're going to talk a little bit more about the Terrence Clark situation and kind of how, um, you know, that unfolded and, and kind of how it has kind of made everything take a step back in terms of coaching changes and, and transfers and those sorts of things. So we'll talk about on the next one. Uh, we want to use this as, as a primary source of just, just straight up recruiting. That's what you guys came here for. So we're going to just focus on that. So I wanted to go through each prospect that we saw of UK interest. Somebody that UK fans are going to need to be keeping a close eye on. Somebody that they probably have been keeping a close eye on over the last year or so. And I was just going to go straight down the list. We're going to talk uh, you know, who they are, what they look like. I think we are pretty comfortable with all of these kids. There were six kids of interest for, for UK fans to keep a close eye on. I think we've done a pretty solid job talking behind the scenes of, you know, what is, you know, updated scouting reports on these kids, the good, the bad, the ugly with, with all of them. Um, and, you know, kind of maybe even update on their recruitments if we talk to them or know some things, you know, talking to other people at the facilities over the last week, you know, three days or so. We'll go through all of them uh, just kind of one by one. But before we do just the UK guys, I'm dying to know your thoughts on Imani Bates because he is obviously the guy, number one kid in the class of 2022, uh, committed to Michigan State, but I think there's a lot of overwhelming buzz that he may never set foot on a college campus. And I mean, it's pretty understandable why that is, but he's a, I kind of consider him kind of a polarizing prospect because yes. the good Imani Bates at his best that you get the Kevin Durant comparison, the six, eight, six, nine, you know, standout shooting talent, the way he can handle the ball at his size, all that stuff. There's a reason why he's number one and his potentials through the roof and why he is such a celebrity flair to him. But there's also a show that comes with Amani Bates and the spectacle that comes with it. And I'm dying to know you seeing that in person for the first time. What was, what was your initial reaction of the uh, Bates fundamental experience and Amani Bates just in general as a player? Well, and you kind of hit on one of the points I was going to talk about there. Bates fundamental is his team. So as you can imagine, it is very much a Amoni Bates centered uh, program, not to knock any of his teammates, but Amoni Bates is, was far and away, you know, team final was another team they played and team final had about five players who would have been the second best player on Bates fundamental. So we'll, we'll preface that by saying that Amoni Bates has definitely had to do a little bit more, uh, than he probably would if he were at Michigan State or at the next level. So take that uh, into account here when we talk about this. But we saw Imoni play twice, correct? I think it was just twice three, we saw him play. Three, 
three times. We saw him three play times? twice Saturday and then the third time Sunday before we left. Right. And uh, the first game we saw him play, they got quickly blown out. And the second they got started to get blown out, um, Amoni Bates turned into a little bit of a chucker of sorts, you know, forcing shots up. But the good with Amoni Bates is he has unlimited range. And when I say unlimited, like he legitimately has Curry range. He can, and he's got the confidence, I think is the big part about it. He's got confidence to go and shoot those shots. Um, quickly talking about the game where they played team final and Jalen Duran, uh, he shot, what was it, Jack? Eight for 28? Eight for 28. But I would say four of those made shots were from 32 feet. And he probably took about 10 of them. So I would, or nine or 10. So he yeah. actually, if you're, if you're judging based on his percentage from 30 feet away, he was shooting an incredibly good clip. But at the same time, um, we'll, we'll stick with the pros here. So obviously the shooting was unbelievable. He, you, he absolutely mimics his jump shot after Kevin Durant. I'm not making a Kevin Durant comparison, but when he shoots the ball, it is exactly the same way that Kevin Durant shoots the ball. There's no doubt in my mind that he's watched film his entire life trying to get that shot down. And he's pretty much done it because it's flawless. It's beautiful. Um, he has impressive dribble moves for being six, nine. Um, he's obviously needs to work on his weight. He's very skinny. He needs to hit the weight room a little bit. And you could tell that that kind of gave him some issues whenever he would try and get in the lane. Um, he was definitely getting pushed around a little bit, kind of throwing up some shots that he had no business shooting. And again, part of that goes to the fact that they were starting to get down quick and Amoni kind of had to do it himself because like we were saying, his teammates couldn't, they just weren't up to the talent level of some of these other teams. So it kind of put him in a situation there where you saw him shoot like an eight for 28, but he still showed so many good signs that you, you see the potential of him being, you know, a potential NBA all-star one day. So uh, in terms of, uh, just more good stuff, I guess. The dribble moves, I really liked. He's got a very quick uh, crossover move, which he is in love with. Um, he definitely needs to develop probably a little bit more than that. Um, and he was getting double teamed a lot too. Uh, whenever Sometimes when he stepped across half court, they were double teaming him. But he was, he's tall enough that he can get passes over. So those, those are things that we'll just he'll, he'll eventually be able to learn as the game comes along because he's going to be dealing with double teams for a, a long time, obviously. Um, in terms of some of the negatives, I think we, we kind of already mentioned them. Like, he needs to get, definitely needs to get stronger. Um, I don't particularly remember watching him on defense and going, wow, yeah. Amoni Bates. And I, I think part of that as well is having, you know, such a big load on offense that it kind of counters back to, you know, how much does he want to exert himself in these AAU events. And we actually saw him get kind of hurt on Sunday. Um, he ended up being fine. But, you know, it's it's just – there's cautious things there that I'm sure he takes into account as well. That it's like, well, you know, do I want to exert all this energy on defense when I'm trying to be this, I'm trying to show off how good I am on offense. So there's all those things to take into account for a 17 year old kid. But overall I was, I understand why he is the number one player in the class. Um, I also understand why Jalen Duran is right behind him as well. Uh, just in terms of pure potential and all that. But I came away pretty impressed with what I saw from Amoni Bates. Um, I definitely think he's straight pro guy and I, if he can get into a team that will sit him down and say, Hey, let's maybe put the showboaty stuff on the back burner for a bit and let's lock down. I, I, there's definitely a chance that he's a, a multi-time all-star. I think it's pretty clear that he's very talented. The potential is obviously through the roof, but I think it's pretty clear that he knows his team isn't very good and uh, they're not going to be competing for a peach jam title or any 
uh, you know, any other major accolades as a team. Uh, and so I think he's kind of, he's kind of taken a step back and said, I am going to make sure that when I'm on ball is life and you know, the who's next and some of the, you know, overtime, some of the other high profile highlight tapes, he's going to make the most of his time on the floor because I, I don't know. I kind of got the sense that he, once it became clear that the team was going to lose and they were out of it, like the start of that team final game against Jalen Duran, they, they hung around and his decision-making was much better. His shot creation was much better. His shot decisions were, were infinitely better. And it seemed mm-hmm. like as soon as things started slipping away, it was like, a, all right, well, time for the Amani Bates show. Like there was yeah. ne- there there wasn't a all right let me let uh, you know let's take a step back I'm gonna get this team back in it we're gonna do this it was like a, all right time for me and I get it when you are that talented and you are the only player of that caliber around you going against a player of Jalen Duran's caliber and, and I mean like you said team final has five players that are four stars or higher a uh, couple fringe five stars obviously the number two player in the country in Jalen Duran so mm-hmm. that competitive aspect was certainly there to start with and I even looked over at you to start that game and I said I like how he's kind of getting up for the challenge he's he's ready for this moment in this spotlight and I was like that was much different than the first game where it was uh, against a team that I think it was where they play each one teach one or something Mm -hmm. yeah where it was a great matchup it was against Dylan what was his name Um, Mitchell Dylan Mitchell fantastic prospect especially on the defensive end of the floor he gotta admit kind of locked up Amani from start he did very very impressive performance on his end but that game it kind of felt same way things got out of hand pretty quickly and Amani just kind of said screw it I'm just gonna jack up 40 foot three you know three point jumpers and we're gonna lose by 40 and I'm gonna get my 18 20 25 points on 30 percent shooting and call it a day there was a this at the start of that team final game. It was very clear that he was locked in. He was engaged, and at his best, it was very clear why he was the number one player in the country. But when things kind of unravel and get out of hand, it gets a little silly at times. And I'm hoping that at the at the next level, whether that be at Michigan State, very unlikely, or at the um, you know G League, or once he finally gets gets to that NBA level, that we start seeing all of the best from him, not just spurts of the best. Um, so we'll switch back over. Uh, we, we talked about him a bunch. Jalen Duran, six foot 10, 230 pounds. First thing that you think of when you uh, see Jalen Duran in person is this guy was built in a lab. He is NBA ready in terms of not, not talking about skill or anything from that. He is, has an NBA ready body. He could step onto a floor in the league right this second and not be physically overwhelmed at 17 years old, which is absurd. I think he was born in 2003 or something ridiculous. I mean, for him to be that size at his age, I mean, it's, it's just absurd. Seeing it up close and personal for the first time and since he's grown a little bit, you know, I saw him last couple years before, but this is the first time we got to see him at this stage. Absurd. Yeah. And I, I think my first, uh, yeah, there's obviously the Dwight Howard uh, comparisons in terms of frame, which I think are kind of fair. Uh, Dwight Howard is a little bit taller, maybe, but I mean, Jalen, Dur- like you were saying, it's it's like he was made out of a lab. I mean, everything is sculpted. You could tell he's been 
he's been in the weight room hard. And that's definitely like he could probably, like you were saying, he could pop on an NBA court right now. And if he played 40 minutes, he'd probably, he'd get you 10 rebounds. He would be able to go out there and get you 10 rebounds against NBA guys. The other stuff is definitely all a work in progress, but you see the flashes here and there. And it's like, there was the one play in particular, I know which one you, you know, I'm talking about where I forget exactly what happened, but he essentially got the ball in transition and was. He, really, like, he was, he was guarding Amani on the perimeter at 6'10", 230, which is just absurd. As the number one center in the country, he's guarding 25 feet out from the basket. I was in there. That was a lot. He Uh, he guarded Amoni a lot of the game. The whole game. Yeah, it was was that. That part was nuts. But he ripped. He he ripped Amoni and then uh, keep going. He he ripped Amoni, went down the floor and hit. I I don't know if he hit actually Amoni with a euro step, but he hit somebody with a a slow down euro step, like something that Shea Gilgis Alexander would do. The right step, the left step, cocks it all the way back and just unleashes a jam that had the entire gym you know, do, like looking around at each other, like, did you just see that? And th- those were the plays where you're like, holy, like this guy could be, you know, he's got a Julius Randle body already or a Bam Adebayo body already. Like just imagine, like when you see those type of things, obviously the the, the shooting touch is obviously a work in progress. Um, as far as the dribbling, uh, still a little bit of work in progress, but when you're 17 and that big, there's it's he's a mold, he's a ball of clay. You just you're gonna mold that guy, and he's going, he's going to be very very good, and he already is. Yeah, there were there, there were some times I looked over at David Sisk, uh, and I said, man, I, I want to see that quick twitch explosiveness, you know, just pure instinct, grab the rebound or get the ball in the and get the ball in the post one dribble move, pull up, and just explosive like Dwight Howard dunk. You know, so I want to see a, a zero hesitation. I am the most overwhelming presence that will ever touch this floor today, tomorrow, this whole weekend, and I'm going to let somebody know about it. And there were a couple times, like on a couple putbacks, where he kind of went up and under and kind of had a reverse, like Aaron Gordon type, you know, reverse slam. He had a couple where you're like, oh, sheesh. But I'm still waiting for that. I am an NBA ready guy in terms of my body uh, physically I'm there I want to physically overpower you so you know some of the, you remember some of those things that we had with Bam Adebayo at Kentucky where you were like dude you are you are the biggest guy on the floor you can out muscle anybody out there throw your weight around put your elbow into him you know work your shoulder on him and just go up and dunk on somebody you, you we saw it at the high school level because he was obviously six inches taller than everybody and, and weighed 30, 40 pounds more. He was able to do that. But even against more comparable size, he still had that. And, and there were never – there weren't enough times for me with Bam at, at Kentucky where he just went up and, and showed that, that brute strength. And I was waiting for that moment with Jalen. And he did it like maybe once, maybe twice. But I was still like, man, he would kind of get the ball in the post and he was more focused on kind of getting to his spots and, and fade away. He's working on expanding his range a little bit so he's not just a pure inside presence. But, gosh, there, he's, he's one of those guys that you just look at and you're like, man, when he figures it out, he's going to be something absolutely special. Um, well, that's, that's why I think there's a big gap. Or not necessarily a big gap, but I, that's why I think there's a gap between the Amoni and Jalen Duren is – Amoni Bates knows how good he is. Yes. Jalen Duran knows he's good, but I don't think he understands how just absolutely big. Like, 
not not many times was he, you know, commanding the ball in the post or trying to – there was a few times he, he would try and back some guys down, and he did show off that he is absolutely working on his mid-range games and stuff like that. And those are all good signs. Um, but, like, to your point, you know, he just – he he didn't have the absurd confidence that Amoni does. And, you know, that's probably just a personality type thing. But um, once he figures that out, that he is just, you know, a guy that's bigger and better and he needs to command the ball. And a part of uh, being on team final, which was his was like you were saying, he's got Justice Williams and uh, Corey Floyd and Derek Lively, who we'll talk about. It's like he has five-star teammates around him. So it's not necessarily like he needs to go and, you know, get all these buckets again. But and I think he realizes that if he just – if he is big, his team will win. But at the next level for his teams to win, he's got to be big and do all the other things. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's definitely a fascinating talent. You talk about the next level for him. Uh, We heard more whispers while we were there talking to people that he's pretty much pro from day one, uh, that he just cut his list down to 11. Kentucky was on it, but he also included the G League. He also included um, um, the NBL as well. So I think it's pretty clear, you know, that Michigan's a school to watch out for. Miami's another school to watch out for. We, we heard this weekend, but pretty – I would not get my hopes up if you were a Kentucky fan about him actually ending up at Kentucky. He says he, – he speaks highly of, of Kentucky whenever you can get your hands on him. We tried to – we, we – tried three, four times to talk to him in person and he had security lined up like uh, the president of the United States. So well, that's another interesting point is he was a bigger celebrity than Amoni. Yeah. Oh, by far. Yeah. Which I thought far. was interesting. Yeah. He, I mean, we tried going up and interviewing him, talking to his coaches like, Hey, can we do that? And it was just kind of like a, that, that it needs to be set up privately behind, you know, when he can be in the comfort of his own home or on, at school or something we're not doing, you know, in-person stuff, even if it was two, three minutes, he, there, they had no interest in, in that, which was pretty interesting, but it pretty, pretty clear that he's going to end up going the pro route. Um, that if not, I, I guess you could say Michigan, Miami, Kentucky are the three other schools to keep an eye on, but I, I just wouldn't entertain that possibility as of right now. Um, moving down the list, Brandon Miller, I was very outspoken about Brandon Miller uh, at this event. You know my gripes. You know my praise of him. You know the uh, ins and outs of it. But I guess we'll put that on a more public sphere. Brandon Miller is six foot eight, two hundred pounds. I think he might even be pushing six nine right now. He's officially listed at six eight. Um, solid body. He's put on ten, fifteen, twenty pounds since I saw him last summer. Uh, Brandon Miller at his best is a top five level prospect in the country hands down I think when he is locked in when he's engaged when he is attentive and wants to do something with the basketball and and make an impact he is about as good as it gets I think he has so much raw potential and ability uh, you know he's already showing that he can knock down he's really trying to expand his his range and and become kind of that that inside out threat where, yeah, he's, you know, explosive. He can make plays inside, but he really wants to start knocking down jump shots at a high clip. But Zach, you know, my biggest gripes with him are it's his motor and it's his when, how often he's locked in. And it's, it's very troubling when you type in Brandon Miller's name on Twitter or you go to his scouting report on two, four, seven sports or wherever 
and every single person that talks about him says he has all the tools, physical tools in the world to be this, 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 and this, but there's always a but with him. And it's always when he's locked in, it's all, it's, it, there's never a, there's never a consistent Brandon Miller comes out there and just wants to dominate, wants to dunk on somebody, wants to put one on somebody's head. Uh, you know, there, there's never that consistent moment with him where every second he's on the floor, he, he takes the game over as he could. You noticed that he floats on the perimeter the entire game, waits for his shots, when he gets the ball, he has no interest in attacking the basket unless he sees a wide open path. He, 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 when he creates for himself, he gets very little dribble separation. He dances around the perimeter and f- gets some semblance of a step back jumper or just a catch and shoot three, some, something along those lines. Very rarely do you see him explode to the basket and punch on somebody as he could. He has all the athleticism all the just natural raw. I mean, he does have a growing jump shot. He's, there's a reason why he, I mean, he's not a bad shooter. It's not, I'd like to see him make them at a higher clip. If he's going to be that player, he needs to start making them. But there's just so many times I look at him and go, Oh, dude, come on, man. Get just, just attack, get engaged. You're, you haven't touched the ball in five possessions. What are you doing, man? Command the ball. You're a top 15 player in the country. Command the ball be that dominating presence that you have the potential to be. When I saw him last summer, I went to go see Sky Clark in Tennessee, and he was there at that workout with uh, Alex Poitras was there, Robert Covington was there, Ian Clark was there, NBA, you know, NBA-level talent was there, uh, Darius Garland was there. I mean, it was, it was a very impressive group of, of, of players. And Sky Clark was matched up against Ian Clark and then even got matched up against Darius Garland there for a while. And it was like, something clicked for him where it was just like, I'm going up against NBA talent. I'm coming for your neck. And I was like, Ooh, I like that. He, I mean, he obviously didn't look like an NBA player. The, the drop off wasn't that significant, but I mean, it was, it was significant. It, you could tell that one was a high school kid. One was an NBA player. NBA players are NBA players for a reason, but Brandon Miller was, you know, he would kind of take plays off and you, you, he was invisible so often. It was like, dude, you, you have the ability to take this game over against NBA talent and learn from the best of the best in the, in the world. And we're not seeing that. We're not seeing that engaged best of you. And that's my biggest frustration with him. Does he have that in him? I hope so, because I think at the end of the day, he could be a damn good basketball player. Um, but I'm not seeing it. I, I, I'm kind of tired of seeing every, every time somebody talks about him on Twitter or on social media or on these scouting websites, the ifs and the buts and the uh, when he's locked in and when he's engaged. I don't want to see that anymore. I, I think I think it's time for him uh, as he as his recruitments ramp ramp up and, and uh, you know schools start reaching out to him more and the offers start piling up. You know, I think it's I think it's time. I, I think these next couple months are going to be good for you know big for him to know if he is going to be what he could be or if he's going to be another you know top thirty, top forty ish player that. At his best, yeah, he's 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 cool, he's great, but you don't see him at his best enough to uh, really make a difference on both ends of the floor on a consistent basis. I think my lasting impression of Brandon Miller will be 
when you were kind of explaining what you thought of Brandon Miller before or right as his first game started. And you said, one of the things is if he hits a three, he's going to shoot the next one. And I remember he hit a three and sure enough, the very next possession, he came down, jacked one up brick. And it was just kind of that type of thing that kind of just went on. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to get in the mind of a 17 year old. I don't know why he would act reserved, I guess might be a word in terms of like attacking the basket and stuff like that. I would imagine that's something that could get fixed if he gets the right head coach, you know, college coaching staff. So there is, I I wasn't particularly impressed with anything I saw from Brandon Miller. um, But the body frame is always interesting. The fact, you know, he's six, whatever, six, eight, it was six, nine, uh, he can shoot. He did have an impressive put-back dunk that I thought was mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. Um, so there's there was good things about Brandon Miller. I don't know how high on Kentucky's list he is or would be or anything like that. Um, but I was uh, you know it, it, he was a guy that I didn't look at and was like wow he's really 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 good. So I don't I don't know if uh, if it's just a, a mind thing and just eventually that's just something that he can get past. Like I said, seventeen year olds who really knows what's going on. Um, but those were just my thoughts on him. wasn't wasn't terribly impressed, but I do under I do get the reasoning why he is a he's a five star, right? Yeah, he's five star top. He's top. He's ranked as high as number eleven overall by two four seven. Eleven, yeah. eleven. Like does does he do things on the floor to you that make you go ah? That's the number eleven player in the country. There are only ten better players in high school basketball in the class of twenty twenty two better than him. No, probably not consistently. No. I don't not consistently. There was that one play, and I, I know you remember this, where he got the rebound. It was Saturday afternoon. He got the rebound, went coast to coast. That it was engaged. Got the rebound, started dribbling at about half court. Somebody reached in for the steal. He wrapped it around for the for the behind the back. It was tight. I mean, tight dribble. Handles are handles are getting there. I mean, they're they're definitely getting there goes behind the back, switches left hand, and he finds the right corner wide open three. It was a like a bam, bam, bam play. I, I can't remember if the, the guy on the corner made it, but it doesn't matter. It was, it was the fine – it was the, the, the rebound, the I'm going, the instinct, the, the dribble move instinct, and the court vision to see that wide open three in the corner – it was like ah, there, there, right there, right there. That's exactly what he, that's exactly what you want to see out of a player like that. And then you get that one out of every fifteen possessions with him. And it's like, why can't we get that one? Not even every single possession. You know, I, I get that he's human. He's not going to play out of his mind every single time he's on the floor. But give me one out of four possessions. Give me one out of three possessions where you see and engaged in attacking Brandon Miller. And that's why he's number 11 in the country right now. That right there is why he, he could, he could be special. I have high hopes for him. And it's more, this is my criticisms aren't necessarily, this is, you know, he's a bad player. I hope Kentucky doesn't reach out to him. I'd hope Kentucky doesn't offer him. He doesn't, he's not a right fit. It's more so he has the potential to be so special, but he doesn't realize it yet. And the second he realizes how good he can be, when he tries on a consistent basis, I think he's top 10. I think he's top five even. I think, I think it's absolutely there. The tools are there. He's growing as a player, as, an, as, a, as a person. You know, physically, he's, he's, growing, he's grown two inches and 15, 20 pounds since I saw him last summer. So he's, it's there. 
I just hope that he realizes it, it realizes it sometime very soon because he could be a, a pretty special talent when when that day comes if it if it comes I, I hope I genuinely hope we do get to see it um and I guess we'll touch on his recruitment too. I talked to him last summer during all this and uh, when schools were finally able to start reaching out to him and Kentucky was kind of flirting a little bit. Um, but that was also around the time that Jay Lucas was being brought in and, and um, you know, there's this kind of shuffling of the coaching staff and all that. I, I think there's a, a, a lukewarm interest in Kentucky, kind of the, the, the wait and see approach that we have with, with, with him, like most people are having with him. Uh, there's a lot of, of high level interest in him. He'll, he'll end up at a, at a high major for sure. You know, without a doubt, he'll, he'll end up at a, at, um, you know, maybe even a blue blood. I know there's some blue bloods reaching out to him, just Kentucky. I don't know. I think they're, they're kind of taking a wait and see approach with him as most people are at, at this point. Um, let's keep going. Nick Smith. This is uh, all of the Your favorite, all the criticisms and gripes that I had uh, for the last prospect disappear by the wayside with with uh, Nick Smith Jr. I am as high on him as anybody I saw at the event. I think he is a special talent. There's a very clear in reason why Kentucky is so interested and why there's such consistent contact from the UK coaching staff. Six foot four, 177 pounds. We'll get into that here in a second. But it's kind of funny. Coach Cal in February, I, I looked up the timeline of this exactly. In February, early February, Coach Cal says – the game of basketball is transitioning very quickly to a shooters only game. If you can't shoot, you can't be on the floor. You need to start expanding your range. You know, this needs to be a, uh, a consistently, it doesn't matter if you're you know, a one or a, you know, one through five, every position on the floor needs to be able to shoot at, at least some, some semblance of it. And then like 10 days later, Nick Smith, a random four-star prospect in the class of 2022, uh, gets serious Kentucky interest. He adds UK to his list. And this is as pure of a scorer and shooter as you will find at this level, at this age, I think. What did you think of his performance? Um, I was a big Nick Smith fan as well. Um, I'm not sure if I'm nearly as big of a fan as you are. But I was, I do like Nick Smith a lot. I thought he could score from anywhere. Um, the big issue with him was the 175, the fact that he weighs as much as, you know, you and I do. That's not necessarily a good sign. But he even, what I like is that was the one thing he acknowledged. He was like, I want to be 195 when I get to college. And if he's 6'4", 195 as a combo guard who can score from anywhere on the floor, the one thing he's missing is to be able, the ability to finish in contact. And he can already kind of do that. He's he was very long. Was one yeah. of the things I noticed is he's he's got a I don't know his exact wingspan, but it's definitely longer than his actual height is in that uh, ratio there. So I was impressed with what I saw. Um, I don't know if you want to go deeper into the actual game breakdown of what you saw from him. Yeah, he. So I I came in knowing that he was a high high profile shooter um, knowing that he could score at all three levels. I, I kind of knew that something that I didn't know about his game uh, that I think he, he even said that he's been adding this to, to his game 10 times the, the, the passer and the ball handler that I thought, I thought he was going to be a true two at, at the next level. Uh, but he showed court vision and just instincts in decision making that I would I looked over at you and I was like did you see that pass it's like how how did he find him there you know he would kind of be 
setting up a shot that you, you kind of thought he's going to work in a 15 foot elbow jumper. Or he's, he's setting up, he's trying to create a shot. And then he kind of tuck a little bounce pass underneath to the, to a, a cutting wing or a, a, the center of the basket. He, there were so many times that he'd be like, how did he make, I didn't even know he was setting up a passer. How do you, how do you even see him? There was that he just did so many little things like that. There was like, okay, he might be a one. I, he's, he's probably combo. I think at this point we asked him and he said, I don't care what position you want me to play. I can play all of them. Uh, just tell me, you know, you name it, I'll, I'll do it. But I do get the sense that in a pinch, he can play point guard. He has a great feel for the game. His court vision is there. Uh, and that's, this is not even counting his shooting and his pure scoring. There were so many times that, that he would set up a shot and he would take the shot and he, he was money every time he, he is a beautiful floater um, from four or five feet. He's, you know, comfortable in the mid range and catch and shoot opportunities from, from three fantastic at that. I mean, just, just very, very skilled as a pure shooter, as a pure scorer on top of, you know, he's engaged on the defensive end of the floor, kind of picked up 94 feet. He just did so many little things where I was like, okay, there's a reason why he is now number 23 in the rankings. ESPN has him at 20 uh, at number 41 overall. I, I, they're usually kind of a step behind in the ESPN rankings, but that 23 range with, with two, four, seven sports right now, I, I'm, I think that's his comfort zone. I, I think that's kind of where he needs to be. Well, you hit him a good point is his, his feel for the game, if you will, is very good. He has instincts that are just like he doesn't necessarily have to be a good passer because his instincts will allow him to make those passes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just, it was little things. Like there was one thing you pointed out, I believe this was Nick Smith, where um, he had an opportunity to go for an alley-oop, but he tucked it down, landed, let the defender go over him, then went up for an easy layup. And it was just one of those little things where you're like, ah, like, you know, he's been playing for a long time. He clearly knows just the little small intricate parts where he can poke holes in a defense. And, and that was, I thought that was impressive. Just those little tiny things where you see where you're like, okay, so he kind he already, the gears are already turning in his head and he'll be a guy where the game slows down sooner rather than later for him. Yeah. And in terms of his recruitment, we talked to him, at, you know, one-on-one for seven, eight minutes. It was, it was great. He was very, one of my favorite interviews, actually. Very, very well put together kid in terms open, of how he talks. Honest, you know, confident in his, in his abilities. You know, we were like, you know, what, what do you have to prove here in the next couple of months? He said, I don't, I don't have anything to prove. I'm confident where I am. And, you know, I know what I need to work on. I know what I, I need to add uh, some weight, you know, those, those sorts of things. And every t- it was kind of funny. We asked how his recruitment's going. And the first thing he says is obviously Kentucky is there. Uh, and then he kind of goes through some of the other schools, but v- he was the first person to bring up, and it might have been because he knows we were we were from Kentucky, and that side of things is obvious. But uh, very very open about his interest in Kentucky. Says that he's in regular contact with Jay Lucas. Says that he knew Jay from uh, his time as a Texas recruit when Jay was at, at Texas, took an unofficial visit down there in, in the tenth grade, I believe. So he, I think the interest in Kentucky is very genuine. Uh, I think. Kentucky hasn't offered it yet, but they are very much on the cusp of doing so. I would not be shocked at all if we hear some news on that here in, in uh, the, the very near future. 
he's a guy to keep, he's a guy to keep a, cl- a close eye on. I think if UK offers, I think he did, he, he said that he was going to decide here in October or November or so. I think th- if UK ramps things up as it appears they are, he says that he talks to them all the time. I think that Kentucky is going to be the, the biggest player for him for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, another kid that we watched the first night that, also mentioned that Kentucky is right there in the thick of things says that UK is re- is recruiting him the hardest out of all of the schools on his list. Shaden Sharp, six foot four, 180 pounds ranked as high as number 20 in the rankings by rivals.com. Number five shooting guard in the country. ESPN has an unranked number 30 shooting guard in the country. I don't even know how you have that big of a difference. Uh, two, four, seven has him at, at number 20 or number 40 overall number four shooting guard in the country. So kind of all over the place. He's kind of one he's a, a Canadian kid. Uh, they're, they're, I think people are starting to ramp up, you know, film on him. And, and he's, he's kind of one of those growing up and coming names that the people that have, have gotten their eyes on him know what he is as a player. And uh, so I, I, I understand why there's such kind of fluctuation with his, his ranking right now. But as a, as a player, he was the first guy we watched Friday night. And it was pretty clear from the first second that, a, he is probably the most athletic player in the nation right now, especially in his class. I don't know. I'd put just about anybody out there in terms of uh, of athleticism with him. I mean, he's just just an athletic freak. But everybody only knows him as an athletic freak right now. I I was pretty pretty darn impressed with his his pure skill and and his shot creation. He felt really comfortable in in setting up shots and and with the ball in his hands. He's a he's a true two, but I thought he was comfortable bringing the ball up the floor and and kind of setting up his own shots and doing those sorts of things. I I was really really impressed with this kid, and it's I think it's pretty clear why Kentucky is ramping things up with him. He he says that. Uh, his recruitment is going through his coach right now, but there's some kind of mixed reviews. I think, I think there is some one-on-one contact with Kentucky that they're trying to keep under wraps just a little bit. Uh, but I, I do think that he's going to be a player for Kentucky. I don't know how serious he's going to be. He, he received an offer back in December, but there is, there were four plays, three or four plays in the one game, the first game that we saw with him where you went, Holy crap. How did he do that? That, that's not something a player, a 16, 17-year-old kid should be able to do at this point. He's going to be a very, very talented kid, and uh, I can un- I com- completely understand why Kentucky is ramping things up the way they are with him. Well, I think it's a little bit telling that he, even during all of this weirdness of the last year, he still picked up a UK offer in December. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's pretty telling, you know, ratings aside from the outlets – I think that was telling right there. My biggest thing with him with uh, Shaden Sharp was obviously the athleticism was unbelievable. And I'll go ahead and talk about the one play that I know we both knew where it looked like he could have even said afterwards that he could have ended this poor, poor dude's life uh, on a dunk, but decided to like kind of tuck it in at the last second. And like, I mean, the hang time had to have been close to a second, if not more, and like floated in a layup and then took the ball and like rolled it on the guy that he just destroyed. It was very, it was smooth. And that's actually a good, I think that's a perfect description of his game is he's smooth. Yeah. He, he showed the ability to get to the goal. He can score from like, he showed t- he could hit mid ranges. Um, he showed the ability that he can step outside and hit the three, but he's 
just the athleticism obviously blows you away, but there's other aspects of his game that I think are, is why he's slowly becoming a better player or a more recognized player is because people are starting to realize like, Oh wow. Like he can, he can get in the lane and hit a pull up 15 footer with ease. And I think that was a big thing. And we were talking to him and I got it pulled up right here. He said that his, uh, that his one weakness or that he really would like to improve on was to get his handle tight. And I didn't see a massive issue with his handle, in my opinion. So I think if, if that's something that he's going to start working on um, even more so, you know, that's just that's going to make him play that combo position even better. Um, but he's so quick. You know, he can he can get in transition and he'll – we even saw him bury uh, an alley-oop finish from the baseline that oh, so from the same game that was just as impressive, if not more so, than the one where he almost dunked it and then tucked it back in. Uh, both of them were outstanding plays. So he's a highlight waiting to happen. Um, but it, it more, just more so than that. I don't know if these are things that he's just kind of recently added to his game. And maybe that's why there's such a uh, weird disparity in his rankings or whatnot, but it, he's, he has the ability to really affect the game in on both ends from all areas of the floor. Yeah. And one thing before we move on, um, I love his ability to explode through people and finish through contact. He's, I mean, he's thin, six foot four, 180 pounds, kind of same weight and size as, as uh, Nick Smith, like we just talked about. But his ability to go through people and kind of maneuver around and finish through them, you know, it was kind of frustrating watching BJ Boston this past year because he was thin. And he would always try to contort around people. And that's where we'd get the, what was the quote from Cal, the whoopsie doo or whatever, the the whoopsie tootsie or whatever he said. You don't get that with him. He goes when he, he, I think he understands I am more athletic than you. I'm going to, no matter how much you raise up on this block, I can go higher. And it's like he explodes up and through and that you kind of talked about his hang time earlier. It's like he just keeps lifting and lifting and lifting. And he, when he initiates that contact and he gets that contact and draws the foul, he goes through and tries to finish up over instead of trying to contort around and try to do the, the flips and ups and under. And that is very telling. And I think that translates extremely well to the Division One level and you know, what, what he's going to be at college. He's already he, – the instincts – and finishing touch and ability. I mean, just yesterday, the last uh, the last game that we saw him play, there were three or four plays that I looked over at you and I was like, dude, he's so good. He is able to finish these, you know, he goes up and it looks like he's about to just end somebody's life with a dunk, but he kind of finishes through and up over for soft touches at the rim. And it's like, that that's next level stuff. That That is something that people need to keep. It clear. I, I even remember like, Hamadou Diallo, who was known as just the freak of nature athlete that could just explode up and dunk on anybody, he, the touch wasn't there with Hami. That, that's something I think he's kind of slowly gotten at the NBA level, but he was able to explode up and through, but whenever he did it, he kind of just like jacked something up. And, and he, it, was, it was more so about getting to the free throw line with him, more so than finishing through the contact and getting the and one that right there is is what I think makes this kid so special and why Kentucky's so interested on top of the uh you know obviously impressive jump shot and and his creation ability you know in in terms of shooting and what I think his handles he he gets a little reckless at times tries to go behind the back and you know he's that's him learning trying to just kind of get a get a feel for the game but 
I think it's there. I definitely think it's there. I see why he's ranked where he is kind of just randomly across the board. Uh, I will say that I had two gripes about him and I told you about them both times as I think he takes plays off at times, kind of the same thing as uh, Amani Bates, where when his team gets down early or up early, the first, the first day his team won by a hundred and the last game that we saw him play, they were down by 25, 30. Uh, so it's kind of tough to stay engaged at that point, but I, there, there were a couple times that I said, man, he's, he's kind of you know, the last person up the floor here. He's uh, kind of strutting and just not really, um, not really all that engaged as I want him to be. But I see it. I see the vision with him. I think that it's, he's, he's not a finished product, complete product by any stretch. But there's a reason, there's a reason Kentucky's ramping things up with him for sure. I, I'm, I'm quite intrigued with, with Shaden Sharp. All right, we're going to end it. Wait, go for it. Let me do one more thing with uh, with with Sharp. And back to your point about him being able to go through players, I think that's that's like that's a perfect analogy. He can go through, but he can also go over them too. And the difference between uh, BJ Boston or a Nick Smith, who are B plus A minus athletes, is once they get to that apex, they meet their defender at the same height. Shaden Sharp is an A plus athlete, which is just enough that when he meets that guy at the apex. Shaden Sharp is just a little bit higher and it kind of counteracts that, you know, the, the lack of strength to where he's already so high up and above the other guy that he just has to lay it in. It's not like he's going to be pounding some other dude, you know, shoulder to shoulder at that point, he's still going to be above and it's just a little bit easier. in, in that regard, so that was the last point I wanted to make about him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other, my, my co MVP for the event, a player that, you know I am uh, absolutely downright giddy about Derek Lively the second, mm-hmm. seven foot one, two hundred and twenty pounds, class of twenty twenty two, ranked. Uh, ESPN just moved him up to number twenty four overall, uh, the fourth best center in the country. Twenty four seven has him at forty four overall, and Rivals has him at forty five overall. So, all the attention all weekend was was on. Amani Bates and Jalen Duran, who's the head-to-head matchup everybody was keeping a close eye on. So obviously we were keeping a close eye on team final and, and Jalen Duran closely. But why is it that every time I watched team final this weekend, my eyes went straight to Derek Lively? Every single possession on both ends of the floor, the way he impacts the game on both ends, the way he's able to block shots, the way he's able to jump the passing lanes, deflect balls, you know, convert steals. Uh, I mean, his athleticism, the way he's able to just throw down dunks and, and catch lobs and even, you know, has some touch shooting the ball as well. There were so many times that I caught myself, and you know this because I was raving about him the entire weekend, where I said, this is a Kentucky kid. This kid needs to be a Kentucky. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what his ranking is going to be at the end of the day. This kid will. This kid needs to be at Kentucky. Coach Cal, uh, whoever is his lead recruiter, we later found out that it was Bruiser Flint. They need to be on him. They need to extend an offer, and he needs to be a Wildcat because I see Willie Cauley-Stein in his future. Not going to be a polished, perfect product from day one, but I assure you it's there. He has that it factor. I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with at the, at the college level, uh, and I hope that happens at the University of Kentucky. Now, I, I want to choose my words carefully here because Jalen Duran is obviously the better prospect. Yes. But Derek Lively's on-court production from what we saw was more beneficial to, his, to what, he, what his team needed than Jalen Duran. 
I think on, on a, on a possession by possession basis, Derek Lively was more influential. Um, not to the magnitude that Jalen Duran is when, cause he can Euro step from the free throw line and slow down the dunk. We didn't necessarily see Derek Lively do that. He may just not have had an opportunity, but Derek Lively is a seven foot one athlete. Like, I don't know if he runs track or does any of that stuff, but he probably could if he, he's long. Um, I liked one of the things I liked the most is that even though the jump shot didn't necessarily fall all the time, he took the shot and this, and the mechanics were fine. You know, it was, it was, his jumper is already very smooth and that's something that he'll be able to easily work on and get better at. And that's, that's what I really liked about him was he's a guy that will be able to beat, depending on how you know good he gets it uh, with his dribbling and his touch and his feel, he's a guy that will be able to beat guys off the dribble because they'll have to guard him so hard high up, uh, bigger centers, because he will have that ability to shoot the three. And I think the Willie Cauley-Stein comparisons in terms of uh, just playing above the rim and, and, and uh, his defensive impact uh, in the paint is definitely a fair comparison. Um, I was a big Derek Lively fan. I Probably uh, he might have been my favorite player to watch as well. Um, I think a little bit of it was just being clouded by so many good teammates as well, but he still stood out among all the other four or five star guys. And like I was saying, I think he just in terms of possession by possession production, I thought Derek Lively was more impactful than Jalen Duran. I, I said the exact same thing to you. And, and it was one of those things that you saw him play the first time and you're like, oh, he's, you know, th- this was a good little stretch for him. Oh, he did this, you know, he did this nice thing or he, you know, he blocked a shot and then converted on a dunk on the other end or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever the case was, he'd, he'd have this little short stretch where you go, oh, perfect. That, you know, that's, that's a great stretch for him. I, I, I see the vision with it. And then that little short stretch ended up being the entire game. Every time he was on the floor, he did things like that. And, you know, this sounds crazy, but I I think his offense is already further along than what Willie was when he, I mean, Willie, Willie came in and and people had him ranked in the forties because he was seven foot on the dot, played wide receiver, ran the floor. Well, he played wide receiver. Was it, did he, did he play wide receiver? I I forgot, (laughs) but the way he ran the floor and caught lobs and was able to defend on the perimeter, he had that lateral quickness that made him such a special, uh, you know, special defender at the college level. But, offensively he it's it, Willie was always and I mean shoot you could still argue that that he he still is limited to cleanup service down low where it's catching lobs dunking on people you know finishing easy layups inside he's you know at the NBA level he's kind of sort of extending his game he thinks he's a shooter right now but you know it's it's really not a consistent thing with him I don't think it'll ever be Derek Lively is already a little bit more polished and advanced than Willie was. I mean, even by his junior year of, of college, sophomore easily. I mean, I think he's just advanced. Obviously not the same defensively. I mean, there's a reason Willie Collison was a number six overall pick and defensive player of the year and consensus first team All-American. I mean, that's – Willie Collison is, is a Kentucky basketball legend, so let's not get carried away with it. But offensively, the, the gift is there with him defensively you can tell he's he's getting there he's I mean he was altering shots every single time he, he came down the floor the vision is most certainly there uh, but I I will say he when we talked to him after the game or, or uh, late Saturday night he said um, his idol was Anthony Davis 
and that like Anthony Davis, who didn't, he shot, you know, elbow 15 foot jump shots every once in a while, but didn't, I don't think he took a single three pointer his entire uh, season at Kentucky. He says the game of basketball is expanding. Like we mentioned earlier is expanding for everybody. The, the days of traditional centers, seven foot lumbering, you know, slow footed centers. It's, it's behind. Nobody's going to be doing that in the future. So he said, I know that the game is leaving players like that. So I'm not going to be one of those players. I'm spending my time, whether you like it or not, I'm spending my time on the perimeter and I'm learning how to make a freaking jump shot because if I want a long-term NBA career, I need to know how to make a jump shot. So it might feel a little off right now when you see a seven foot one guy, uh, you know, not a Christoph Porzingis where the, you know, the unicorny type player, he's a true seven foot one center but he's getting comfortable on the perimeter. He's, you know, he's not going to put the ball on the floor, but he needs to be able to have catch and shoot opportunities from three. And he's, he knows that with that ball, the ball is going to be there for him to knock down those shots and he needs to make them. So I thought that was a pretty mature way of handling that and, and professional way of knowing that if, if I want to be an NBA player, uh, I better get my stuff right, right now. And that's what the Kentucky coaching staff is kind of preaching with them saying, we got to get out of the basket a little bit and start making an impact from, you know, short, short mid-range jumpers all the way out to the three-point line. So he says he's modeling his game after Anthony Davis, the same growth that we saw from him where he went from a non-shooter to a legitimate shooter in the league. And uh, I don't know if Derek Lively will ever get to that point. AD is a top 10 player in the world. So, I mean, again, we're not going to get carried away with it. But he's saying all the right things, and he's doing all the right things right now. And I think it's a very positive sign for his future. Well, I'm looking right now. The exact quote that he gave us that I love the most is he said he's trying to be more guard-like for the new NBA game. And for a 17-year-old to acknowledge that, that's the biggest difference between him and Willie. Like, obviously, Willie is a much better defender um, and has been, but Willie never had that. That wasn't exactly one of his goals, you know, was to try and be a shooter or like being able to dribble the ball. So that's, that's no small thing that he's already acknowledging that. And he's already trying to work on that uh, because there's a reason that Willie Colley Stein is in his sixth or seventh year in the NBA and still can't shoot. It's because when he was in high school and college, he, those weren't just things that he looked at. So uh, those are, that's, that was one of the biggest things that I took away from Derek Lively is that he, he understands what it's going to take to be an Anthony Davis. Will he get there? Probably not, because like you said, Anthony. Honestly, Anthony Davis is one of the five best players in the world, in my opinion. So, to get to that point, obviously, it's not just... everybody needs to be an Anthony Davis, though. He, exactly, he would like to be one, but not everybody. You don't have to be Anthony Davis to make a high level impact at at the college level to play in the NBA. There's a reason that you know he can still make tens of millions of dollars for a long, long time if he keeps working to try to be Anthony Davis. He's, I, I mean. Anthony Davis is a once he's a generational talent, so it's it's smart to model your game after somebody like that. Yes. But to have aspirations of being the next Anthony Davis and that being your, you know, kind of your main goal and you, you know what you want to emulate, it's it's difficult. It, it, you're it's you don't want to end up being disappointed and thinking you're a failure if you don't live up to those expectations. But I think he's right on the right track with development, with his current on-court production, production, his potential, all of that little stuff is there. Um, 
we talked to, we talked to him about his recruitment and, and Kentucky is very much involved. Bruiser Flint's his lead recruiter. Uh, he talks to UK weekly. He says, he says, I want to talk to coach Cal. That's the next on my agenda. That's who I want to talk to. Um, he says that, no, he has a, a long list of schools that are interested in him. Uh, he mentioned UNC, Duke, Ohio State, Penn State, you know, listed, listed off a bunch of, of solid programs, and, and I think that's going to continue to grow. One thing I will keep in mind that might end up crushing my hopes and dreams one day, uh, his mom is the marketing director at Penn State, and I think Penn State is very much high, you know, extremely high on him. Want he him, mentioned Penn State. Want, talking to us. You know, want him to to stay inside the, he's from Pennsylvania so that that might end up hurting at the end of the day when UK comes calling all these other big name schools come calling and offering him and he ends up staying home to play for the, the school that his mom works at and, you know I mean he very well may end up going elsewhere but I'm just saying it those type of hometown home state home kid vibes those kind are kind of long lasting and, and we know what it's like to have rival prospects, you know, have family members on staff, even if they're not on the basketball staff, having them around the program can never hurt. So obviously Penn state's a school to keep a close eye on for him. But uh, if Kentucky ramps things up and he obviously, you know, I, I will uh, add this as a little inside scoop for this after I interviewed him last that, that night, we left together. I was 15, 20 feet ahead, uh, walking, waiting for you. You were going to the bathroom. We were going to meet out the, by the lobby. I heard him talking to his coach back behind us. And, uh, you know, his coach kind of whispered over to him and was like, Oh, getting some Kentucky love. I see. He was like, yeah, man. Yep. Yep. That's the one. That's the one. And, uh, we, and he said, man, after tonight, I wouldn't be shocked if you end up getting, getting an offer. And he said, that's the goal. Like that's, that's the goal. That's the one right there. So, He's saying all the right things. He spoke spoke highly publicly to me and, and us about Kentucky, but even quietly, what I don't know if, you know, I was supposed to hear that, but I did. He likes Kentucky behind closed doors as well. So just something, something to keep in mind as we uh, go through these next couple months here uh, following his recruitment because I think he's going to be a special player and – I hope Kentucky, the Kentucky coaching staff sees that as well. We will move on to our final prospect of the event. And he's a quite familiar face to the, uh, the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Kentucky fans desperately want him for obvious reasons. Jeff Shepard's son, Reed Shepard, class of 2023. Uh, standout guard. Everybody knows him, loves him, wants him here. You saw him twice. You saw him play twice. What were your uh, lasting impressions of the Reed Shepherd? Uh, well, his team was they, – they won both games by a, probably a combined 65 points. So they were just bloodying these teams. But uh, that being said, Reed Shepherd definitely stood out as, you know, the guy on their team. Um, the first thing you notice is just very smooth with the ball. Um, he kind of played off ball. Uh, most of the time uh, he would bring it up a little bit, but uh, there was another point guard who would just kind of feed him. And he, he did a lot of like working off screens, um, setting himself up. He can he can hit the shot from five feet behind the line if he needs to. Um, and he even, one of the, when I interviewed him after one of the things he was talking about is he, he's actively working on expanding his range five, six feet behind the line because he understands that that's 
that just brings such another level to his game that'll make him more dangerous. Um, you know, kind of in the Steph Dame Lillard type uh, uh, category, obviously not to that extent, but you, you understand what I'm saying. So, um, and he has, a, he's, he's a lot stronger than, this was actually my first time watching him in person. Um, obviously I've seen a bunch of highlight tapes and stuff and got to watch uh, some of that um, pre-state tournament stuff, but uh, he's a lot stronger than I thought. Um, he's very stout for his six, two or six, three, whatever he is. Um, he can get to the rim if he needs to, uh, had a nice pull-up game, um, very just engaged overall. Um, and what, like kind of what I just said, one of my favorite things was his ability to run around screens and go around the court and get himself open. And even if he had a guy on his face, he could still hit the shot or take it off the dribble if he needed to. So I was impressed with what I saw with Reed Shepard. He didn't necessarily go up against, uh, you know, Jalen Duran or Amoni Bates' type teams and, and those type of talents. But um, – well, and at the same time, he's a uh, um, class below. So, yeah. but uh, I really liked what I saw from Reed Shepard. It's just, he, there's a reason he's starting to get ranked by the the recruiting services now. Um, so just, he's just a guy we're going to have to keep keeping an eye on. But I, that was my, for my first impression of seeing him, I was, I, I liked what I saw. Um, I definitely think he's a guy that Kentucky's going to have uh, contact with. He, he even confirmed with me that, uh, he has been in contact with Kentucky. They've kind of, you know, reached out and, you know, started the baseline of a relationship there. Um, and he did say that some other high major programs were reaching out outside of the ones that have offered him Texas A&M and Iowa. So the interest is slowly growing. And the more he gets exposure, like these events, he's just going to continue to blow up. And it won't shock me at all if the Kentucky communication just continues to uh, progress from here as well. Absolutely. He's obviously a, high-level talent that Kentucky fans are keeping a close eye on and certainly want him to follow in his father's footsteps and end up suiting up for uh, John Calipari. Obviously, Jeff didn't play for John Calipari, duh, but you get what I'm saying, following his footsteps and play it. Kentucky, mm-hmm. you know, seeing that blue and white jersey with Shepard on the back, yeah, I, I, that's going to be something that Kentucky fans desperately want, and I, I totally get it because, you know, reads a special talent I think he does have a spot here at Kentucky when that day comes but I also think that being patient is necessary I I get why some schools are trying to get a head start in their recruitment of him because you know he there are factors not playing in their favor so they need to get a head start if Mm -hmm. need be but a lot of kids in 2023 aren't getting offers yet I mean even like DJ Wagner, the number one player in the country, he's not going on social media every other day and saying, just got a new offer from Duke, just got a new offer from wherever. It's a 2023 kid. Like you, I mean, this is a sophomore in in high school right now there. It's, it's a process and it will happen. I would be shocked if Kentucky didn't end up offering him at the end of the day, unless it's very clear that he does not want to play here, which I have not heard any, anything, Along those lines, I think it'd be crazy of Calipari to not extend an offer considering the circumstances and just knowing how good he is. Uh, so I, I I think that'll happen, but I think patience is definitely necessary with it because he is just a sophomore, and Cal has a long history of not offering kids until they're going into this, the summer of their junior year, going into their junior year. So uh, we typically won't even see a normal top five top ten prospect get an offer from Kentucky until this summer for his age range so definitely something to keep an eye on but also be patient with as uh, he takes the next step of his recruitment Zach this was a ton of fun we're going to get the heck out of here obviously a blast we are looking forward to going 
back on the road where the goal is to go back and see the Iverson classic in person, not this weekend, this coming weekend, but the weekend after that in Memphis, we're still waiting to hear if we uh, get approved. I don't see why we wouldn't get approved to it, but uh, so that, that'll be definitely something to keep a close eye on. We'll obviously interview the UK signees and the Ty Ty Washingtons of the world and, and, you know, some of the other players that turned down Kentucky, why they turned down Kentucky. So we're going to have a ton of awesome content on the show whenever that comes. Bunch of stuff to look forward to, Zach. And uh, I appreciate you coming along the ride for it. It was fun, Jack. Yeah. A blast. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, before we get out of here, where can fans find your work? They can find me at KentuckySportsRadio.com. Uh, Zach Gagan. I'll go ahead and spell out my last name. For Twitter, I am at ZGagan, KSR. Gagan is G-E-O-G-H-E-G-A-N, the triple G. The triple G. You can find me on Twitter at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email at JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back tomorrow with another Jam Pack Source of Say podcast. We will see you then.